following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Christian Life Austin, how are we doing tonight? Anybody thankful to be in the house of God? Anybody fired up tonight? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to be in the house of God. Any, anybody tired tonight? Anybody struggling? Any, anybody been to our six days of prayer at 6 a.m.? You have a right to be struggling. Hey, it's been amazing being a part of what God is doing at 6 a.m. I know this, this morning, I wanted to mention this before we get going here tonight. Man, it was so incredible to stand there and watch Pastor Kelly get up and talk about our healer, to talk about a God that, that heals. It was so hard for me not to be emotional. I, I was able and fortunate enough to visit him in the hospital, and I, I saw the condition that he was in, and now I see where he's at today. And if anybody doubts that our God is a healer, can I tell you, look to Pastor Kelly. Man, I'm so thankful for this house. I'm so thankful for this church. I was standing backstage and I was just thinking about the goodness of God. Uh, we've been here almost three years. My wife and I, we moved our family from our support system, moved our family uh, to Austin on faith, believing that God was going to do some incredible things. And here's what I've learned. When you step out in faith, God always shows up in such an incredible way. Amen. Amen. And I don't know that I've ever said this publicly, but some of you may know my story. I lost my dad at a young age, but my dad was a pastor that loved Pastor Rex. He thought Pastor Rex hung the moon. And there's moments when I'm standing on a stage or I'm able to just stand next to him during a service. And there's just moments where I, I think about my dad. I'm like, Dad, if you could see that I'm working for Pastor Rex, you would be, you'd be so happy. Because here's what I know. He's the best pastor. He's the best leader. There is nobody like him. Pastor Rex, I give you honor tonight. And what an honor it is for me to serve the vision um, of Pastor Rex, of Pastor Brad, um, of the entire lead team, but also to serve you. And I just thank you for loving my family, loving my kids, and uh, just being a part of what God is doing um, in the earth today. All right, enough of the mushy stuff. Let's get into the word of God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Haggai chapter number one. And I've got a message tonight that I think every person needs to hear. Maybe it's a thought that you forgot about. Maybe it's a thought that you've never realized. But every person needs to hear this. And this is the message from God to you Tonight, God is with you. Haggai chapter number one, starting with verse number two. And I'm going to be reading from the message here uh, tonight. A message from God of the angel armies. The people procrastinate. They say, this isn't the right time to rebuild my temple, the temple of God. Shortly after that, God said more, and Haggai spoke it. He said, how is it that it's the right time for you 
to live in your fine new homes while the home, God's temple, is in ruins. I thought, you know, I thought there was going to be an encouraging message, but the further I get into the scripture, I'm realizing this may not be so encouraging. And then a little later, God of the angel army spoke out again. All right, buckle up. This is going to get rough. He said, take a good hard look at your life. Think it over. You've spent a lot of money, but you don't have much to show for it. You keep filling up your plates, but you never get filled up. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, but you're always thirsty. You put on layer after layer of clothes, but you can't get warm. And the people who work for you, what are they getting out of it? Not much. A leaky, rusted out bucket, that's what. That's why God of the angel army said, take a good hard look at your life, think it over. And then God said, here's what I want you to do. Climb into the hills and cut some timber. Bring it down and rebuild the temple. Do it just for me. Honor me. You've had great ambitions for yourselves, but nothing has come of it. The little that you have brought to my temple, I've blown away. There was nothing to it. And why? Because while you've run around, caught up with taking care of your own houses, my home is in ruins. That's why. Because of your stinginess. And so I've given you a dry summer and a meager crop. I've matched your tight-fisted stinginess by decreeing a season of drought, drying up fields and hills, withering gardens and orchards, stunting vegetables and fruit. Nothing, not man or woman, not animal or crop is going to thrive. I pray at some point tonight you will be encouraged. (laughs) Then the governor Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and all the people with them, I want you to focus on this word, they listened. They really listened to the voice of God. And when God sent the prophet Haggai to them, they paid attention to him. And in listening to Haggai, they honored God. And then in verse 13, God's messenger, who was preaching God's message and God's word to the people, he says this one phrase, I am with you. Man, can I tell you here tonight, God's word and God's message for you tonight is that he is with you and that he is for you. He wants to get your attention tonight for one reason and for one reason alone to remind you that even though there's some mess in your life, even though there's some things going on in spite of the fact that your priorities might be out of order, in spite of your bad attitude, in, in spite of your selfishness, he has a message for you tonight. And his message is this, he is with you. I want to say a prayer over you, Jesus, in your name. We're so thankful. And we're so grateful to be in your house, to be with your people. And I just pray in this moment that there are people that are in this room that you want to get their attention. You're not here to beat them up. You're not here to remind them of, your fa- of their failure. You're here to remind them that you are with them. And I pray that somebody receives that message here tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You ever tried to get somebody's attention and, and they weren't paying attention to you? 
You, you, you ever like, it, it, it was an important thing, you needed to get their attention, and they are just lost, they're oblivious. This happens to me almost every Thanksgiving, every Christmas. We're hanging out with family, we're hanging out with friends, and I'm with my wife, and there's usually someone in the family that I'd like to make fun of, but I'd like to do it discreetly. There's something happening in the family, and so I do my best to discreetly get the attention of my wife. Like, this is going to be a good joke if you would just look up, if you would pay attention, if you could just, like, focus for a second. It's going to be a great joke, but I can't say it out loud. Now, I'll discreetly, hey, Annie, Annie. <clears throat> of course, oblivious, I get a little bit louder, and then she sees me trying to get her attention, and she's like, what? What do you want? I was like, there was a reason I was doing that discreetly. Now everyone is looking at me, waiting for me to tell the joke that makes fun of everyone in the room, and now I'm busted. You ever try to get someone's attention? Maybe you're single in the house. We've been in the middle of a relationship series in our young, in our young adult environment, and it's been incredible. But maybe, maybe, oh, yeah, we can give a little clap for that. All right, we got some young adults, CLYA in the house. Maybe, maybe you can remember us. A time when you were single and you might be talking to someone in a social environment and this is not the person that you want to be talking to. Like there's someone else that you can see, but this person is just taking your time. They're taking your attention. You have to have a friend. This is just a social tip for those of you that maybe are still single. I don't see you writing notes right now, but you should be. This is just a tip, pro tip. Talking to somebody, you, you got to have a signal. Where, where they can come in, they can make up an excuse, they can make it, they can get you out of that conversation so that you can get into the conversation that you want to be in and the Lord can provide a relationship that you've been dreaming for and hoping for. Amen. Come on, somebody. Recently, I was traveling in the airport and I heard over the intercom, over the loudspeaker, a message. And they were telling someone that they have to come to this gate. They said that they had an important message for them they've been trying to get a hold of them and I was like who's not checking their email and checking their text and not answering phone calls that they have to actually go to the old school intercom and call their name out I was just wondering like how can you not realize that someone's trying to get a hold of you I wondered in that moment what the message was tonight I wonder what the message is that Jesus has for you and me Tonight, I wonder if you can hear heaven calling your name. I wonder if you can hear what Jesus desires to say to each and every one of us. I wonder in this moment if you can hear the subtle reminder or does God have to get louder to get your attention? Tonight, God is saying that I have something to say to you right now in this season and in this moment. God is trying to get our attention. But a lot of times and many times in life, we cannot hear what Jesus is trying to say to us because we are caught up in the tension of life. We're living in the tension between what we want and what God wants for us. But I know this tension is nothing new to Jesus. In fact, he, he's very acquainted with tension. John chapter 1, Jesus is described as being both fully God and fully man. Like he's not, he's not half and half. The Bible describes him as both fully God and fully man. He's described as being both full of grace and full of truth. And this is so interesting to me because these words are not the same. One could even argue that they are complete opposite, yet Jesus is described as being both at the same time, both God and man, both full of grace and truth. And Jesus showed us what it means to live in tension. 
And the truth is the Bible is full of examples and full of ideas that seemingly contradict each other. For example, grace and truth. I think we can all think of some people in our lives that are all grace and no truth. I think we can also think of some people that are all truth and no grace. Faith and wisdom. Man, in this season of everything going on in the world, there are so many people that are just living by wisdom without faith. And yet there's so many people that are living by faith with no wisdom. But yet God calls us to live in the tension between these two ideas. And tonight, I would just ask you, what is the tension that you are living in right now? Maybe you're living in the tension of where you currently are in the place that you want to be. Tonight, maybe you're living in the tension of balancing home life and work life. Maybe you're living in the tension between working a job just for money and walking in your purpose. Maybe you're in the tension between living in the past and dreaming for the future. Maybe you're living in family tension or in marriage tension and work tension. Maybe there is tension in you because of your own fears of what's going on in the world, but you also have a desire to walk by faith. And while it can be confusing in the tension, there is a truth that applies to each and every one of us, and the truth is this, life is not about removing the tension, life is about growing through the tension. <laughs> I used to work out at this gym in Houston, and the, the gym owner, he was the trainer, and he would always refer to this phrase of time under tension. And he would say, the longer that you can keep your muscles under tension, the more growth you're going to see. In other words, how long you can stay under tension would determine the amount of growth in your life. And while this may be true when it comes to working out, I've come to learn in life that growth happens in the tension. That there is growth in the tension. That there is growth in the process. There is growth in the wrestling. There is growth in the working out. In fact, the Bible says this, that you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The Bible says that we're, we're justified by faith. When we confess with our mouth and believe with our hearts, as Romans says, the Bible says that we're justified by our faith, but sanctification, that's different. Sanctification is a process. Sanctification happens in the tension, and if you remove the process and you remove the tension, if you remove the tension, you remove the growth, and if you remove the growth, guess what? You're not growing, you're dying. Because there are only two choices in life, and it's either growth or death. And I want to tell you here that there are going to be seasons and there's going to be moments of your life when it seems like no one can help you. In the middle of those tense seasons when a pastor cannot get a hold of you and your life group seems to have deserted you and friends have left you, you have to determine in your heart and in that season that in spite of the tension that I'm not leaving. You, you have to determine in your heart that in spite of the tension, I'm going to keep growing. That in spite of the tension in my world, I'm going to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Because I would even say that as you embrace the tension, you are allowing God for do, to do what only he can do. And you will see the growth in your life that you desire. And the truth is, in this passage of scripture... The Israelites were in the middle of their own tension. They were living in the tension between what they wanted and what God wanted for them. 
the tension between being me-focused versus being God-focused. The tension between my house and God's house. They were living in the tension that maybe they didn't mean to walk into that tension, but when the Bible brings up this story, they are living in the middle of the place where where they are, but the place that they need to be because they have been blessed They've been given favor, but in the middle of the favor and in the middle of the blessing, they got their priorities out of order. Haggai chapter 1, God says, how how is it that it's the right time for you? It always seems like the right time for you to do what you want to do, but when is it going to be the right time for me? How is it the right time for you to live in your fine new homes while the home, God's house, God's temple is in ruins? You see, it wasn't wrong for them to have a fine new home. It wasn't a problem for them to have a fine new home. It was a problem when the fine new home was more important than the house of God. You see, the blessing became the curse when they valued the blessing over the one who gave the blessing. The thing that was from God. The thing that was the blessing from God was becoming a curse because they had misplaced their priorities. Can I tell you tonight, it is not wrong to want success. It it, it is not wrong to have success. There is nothing wrong with having stuff. The problem is when the stuff has us. Man, God is not saying not to live in a nice house. He's saying to prioritize better. God is not telling us to live as hermits in the mountains. He's telling us to place a higher priority on the one who gives the blessing rather than the blessing itself. God is not saying to be afraid of the blessing. He is saying to remember the one who gives the blessing. To remember the one who's important. And the most important thing that you can remember here tonight is this, God is with you. If you're taking notes here tonight, I'm going to ask you four questions for my points. But point number one is this, when is the right time for God? I'm going to give you the answer. Now is always the right time for God. God says to these people, it is always the right time for God. It's always the right time to prioritize the house of God. And this is why I love so much what we're doing right now this week during our six days of prayer. As we get up at five in the morning to get here, here's what we're doing. We are prioritizing the house of God. We're giving God our first so he can bless the rest. The first thing in the morning at 6 a.m., we're having the discipline to say yes to Jesus because we realize that now is always the right time time God was saying it's always the right time for you to say yes to God can I encourage you I don't know what season you're in during during your life right now but I know this that God wants you to say yes to him it's the right time to receive forgiveness It's the right time to turn your life over to God. It's the right time to receive freedom. It's the right time to receive grace. Any procrastinators in the house? Some of y'all raised two hands. I appreciate that. It's one of my fatal flaws. And the truth is when my wife comes to me, I've just sat down on the couch after a long day, leaning into an Astros playoff baseball game. Come on, somebody. Oh, man, I don't I don't know where that came from. 
And as soon as I sit down, of course, my wife is like, will you go, will you go do this? I'm like, can we not, like, can we just, can we do it tomorrow? And she's like, that's what you said last time. And I was like, well, that's what I'm doing. I'm just trying to push it down the road just one more day. <laughs> Whenever I need to do something, something I know is coming, I don't want to do it until the last minute because most of us do the same thing with God. We say, I'll serve God when the time is right. I'll get free when the time is right. I'll serve at the right time. But here's what Ecclesiastes says about that. Only a fool waits for perfect conditions. Can I tell you, today is the day. It's a perfect day to repent. It's a perfect day to forgive. It's a, it's a perfect day to receive forgiveness. It's a perfect day to discover your purpose. It's a perfect day to walk in newness of life. It is always the right time for God. Don't live with the mentality that you can wait until tomorrow, that you can wait until the next day, that you can wait until a different season. This is the day that the Lord has made. There is not a diet that I've started in my life that did not start on Monday. Another pro tip, do not start a diet on the weekend. Now, that's the day that I know I should start the diet because we're eating cake, we're having fun, we're at weddings, social events, just eating snacks and food. We're, we're at the parties. I'm eating fruit snacks. I don't even like fruit snacks, but I'm with the kids. I'm eating fruit snacks. And here's what I say as I down another package of fruit snacks. The diet starts Monday. <laughs> as I justify ingesting way too much sugar <laughs> into my body, we always wait for the right time. We always think that we can put it off, that we can, we can start later. But God was saying, it seems like it's always the right time for you. It's always the right time for you to do what you want to do. When is it the right time for me? Can I encourage you tonight that it is always the right time for God? Maybe you're on the fence uh, about different things in your world and in your life. Can I encourage you tonight that it is always the right time for God? It's the right time for freedom. It's the right time to rededicate your life. It's the right time to see his goodness. The enemy loves to tell you to wait until the conditions are perfect, to wait for the right moments. But God is saying to you here tonight in this moment, now is the right time. The second question I want to ask you is what do you have to show for doing things your way? Verses 5 through 6, a little later. The God of the angel armies spoke out again. He said, take a good hard look at your life. Think it over. You've spent a lot of money. I feel convicted right now. <laughs> but you don't have a lot to show for it. You, you, you've been filling up your plates, but it seems like you never get filled up. I feel convicted again. I don't know if this is a sermon about dieting or not, but it seems like it is. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, and yet you're always thirsty. You put on layer after layer of clothes, but you can't seem to get warm. And the people who work for you, what are they getting out of it? In other words, you don't have much to show for your life, and the people closest to you don't have much to show for it either. 
We live in a city where people are exhausted from trying so hard and feeling so unfulfilled. We live in a world where people are giving everything they can for just a few moments of fame, for a few moments of wealth, for a few moments of success, and it's fleeting. It's momentary. Think about the last five years of your life. Think about the last ten years of your life. When you look back on your life without the gospel, what do you have to show for it? When you live a life without God as a priority, man, I just want to tell you this is a fact. You will not have much to show for your life. You've spent so much. You've tried so hard. What do you actually have to show for it? Not much. You've been grinding. You've been working. You've been giving of your time, of your efforts, but it seems like it's never enough. And that's what life looks like when your priorities are out of order. But when you hear the gospel and you put your trust in Jesus, you can look back on your life and you realize that you have something to show for it. And I tell you tonight, I stand on the stage and I cannot believe where God has taken me in my life. I cannot believe what God has done for me. I just can't believe it. I'm overwhelmed by his grace. I'm overwhelmed by his love. I'm overwhelmed by his mercy. I shouldn't be here, but just like Pastor Kelly, but God. Let me just tell you right now, let me get this out of the way. If you see me ministering somewhere, standing on a stage preaching, you're like, how did that guy get to do ministry? I'm asking the exact same question. I don't know either, but here's what I know. When I put my trust in Jesus and I put my hope in him, it's not about my talent. It's not about my ability. I don't understand much. All I know is that a long time ago, I made up in my mind, the house of God is going to be my priority. A long time ago, I made up my mind, the things of God are going to be a priority to me, that nothing will come in front of the things of God. That's what's important to me. That's where I put my hope. That's where I put my trust. And when I look back on my life, I should have seen pain. I should have seen chaos. I should have seen destruction. But here's what I see, goodness and mercy chasing after me. I look back, and there should be some mess and what it's mercy and goodness running after me. Is anybody, th- hey, here's what the Bible says, the Lord preserves the simple, and I'm thankful today that I don't have it all figured out, but when I put my trust in him, is anybody thankful that you know that you're here today not because of who you are and what you've done, you're here today by the grace and the goodness of God. I think about my mom and my dad, they were hippies in the hippie movement. Long beard, long hair, looking all weird and crazy. No offense to the hippies in the room, I love you guys. <laughs> they were far from God. Their priorities were misplaced. And then God got their attention And he whispered to them, and he called to them, and he helped them see that there was a need for God in their life. And then someone comes along and invites them to church. And because of this guy's invitation, I have three other siblings. Every single one of us are in church. Every single one of us are serving. Every single one of us are in ministry. Every single one of us are helping. When you say yes to Jesus, you will have so much to show for your life. 
Man, let me encourage you, if all you do with your life is live a life of serving and live a life of helping and live a life of loving others and, and just helping others and doing what you can, you will look back on your life and you'll realize that I've got something to show for it. But if all you do is spend your time trying to help yourself and serve yourself and build your kingdom, you're going to look back on your life and realize I spent all that time and all that energy and all that money and what do I have to show for it? I choose tonight to live a life where I want my life to show for it. I want something to show for my life. Man, I would hate for you to live a life that is exhausting, that is tiring, that is frustrating, and then you look back on your life and you have nothing to show for it. No, I encourage you tonight to live for the gospel, to live for Jesus. <laughs> Side note. It's going to be tiring and exhausting to serve other people too. <laughs> uh, just because you're serving people doesn't mean you're going to not be tired or exhausted. <laughs> serving people isn't easy. In fact, my dad used to say, if you want to get rid of all the problems in your church, it's really easy. Just get rid of all the people. <laughs> but how many know that your purpose in life in some form or fashion is always, always, always connected to others. Like what you do with your life, the reason you were born, the reason you were created is not about you, it's about others. I've got some good news and some bad news. If you're called to people, it means you're called to problems. <laughs> and if you get around people long enough, you're going to have some problems. And if you're called to problems, that means that God has put you on this earth to be a problem solver. I don't know if you've thought about this, but have you ever realized that you are the answer to someone else's prayer? You just don't know it yet. You are the answer to someone's problem. Man, when you realize that life is not about you and you realize that you can live your life for others, you'll look back on your life and you realize that you've got something to show for it. So tonight, I just encourage you to take a time out and say, what do I have to show for my life? Am I helping others? Am I serving others? Pastor Brad already brought it up, but Sunday is Dream Team Sunday. And maybe there is an area of the church that you could help if you don't know what your purpose is, if you don't know where to start, start right there. Examine your life. Is there something else that I could be doing? That's the part of the sermon that doesn't preach so good because then we actually have to get up off the couch and turn off the game and go do what our wife asked. <laughs> the truth is today, if you don't know your purpose, you might just find your purpose on your way to find your purpose. <laughs> In the middle of serving this has happened so many times. Somebody's like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to get involved. I don't know what to do, but tell me where I can help. And all of a sudden, somebody starts serving. They're like, this is what I was born to do. I love this. This is what it's all about. You will find your purpose on your way to find your purpose. There are so many times when I've just paused to look back on my life to reflect. And I love to do that. And there's four times when I do that. Number one, I do it in big life events. When we have kids, when we move, when something amazing happens in our lives, I always take a moment just to reflect. Am I being the dad that I need to be? Am I being the husband that I need to be? The second 
place and the second time where I reflect on how I'm serving and how I'm helping other people is exposure. Exposure to people that are better than me. Here's what I've learned playing golf. When you start playing golf with people that are better than you, you get better. I want to be around people that challenge me. When I see their life, I'm like, I should be doing that too. I should be eating healthier. I should be eating cleaner. I should be saving more money. Because when you get around people, it causes you to reflect. It causes you to wonder, what am I doing with my life? And that's a great thing. The third time that I do that is on vacation. You might laugh, but it's a time where I can get away. It's a time where I can realize and I reevaluate my life. Am I serving? Am I helping? Am I really doing what I'm called to do? And the fourth place where I really reflect is just in a time of turbulence when I'm on a plane because I'm scared to death and I really reevaluate what I'm doing with my life. I encourage you, there's moments in your life that you should, you should plan. Life should not be a default. But it should be by design. And by design, you should put these places in your life where you reflect and say, am I truly living a life where when I look back on it, I'll have something to show for it? The third question I want to ask you is, is the wind of heaven at your back? You will know when you are not living and walking in your purpose because of the resistance in your life. Many times God uses resistance to get our attention. He uses resistance to tell us if you get what you are working for and you get what you want, you could lose your soul. Tonight, I pray that you feel the doors of heaven starting to open up for you. And I'm coming to a close if we can get some keys, but grace by definition is undeserved favor. And when you surrender your life, when you give your life to Jesus, not everything is going to come easy. That's not what I'm here to say. But I just pray that in those moments, in those seasons of tension where you're trying to work through life, that you feel the wind of heaven at your back, that you feel the grace of God. I pray that you feel some things come easy, that you're living in the favor of Jesus, that it's favor from on high, that when you live and you walk towards the things of God, that you will feel the wind of heaven at your back. I pray that as you live with the favor of God, as you live with the grace of God, as you live in the love of God, that you will fly, that you will soar, that you will experience his goodness. Playing golf, I hate to hit into the wind. If you don't play golf, just skip past this analogy. Maybe you can watch it on YouTube. But I hate hitting into the wind because no matter how hard I hit the ball, the ball doesn't seem to travel. And some of us with our lives are constantly hitting into the wind, trying to force a relationship, trying to force a career, trying to make it work when we know this is not what God wants for us, when we know that it's not connected to who we are. God is saying in this moment, he's saying these things to us, not because he doesn't want us to have good things. He's He's bringing resistance into our world and into our lives to get our attention. Maybe you don't have what you want right now because God's trying to get your attention. Maybe you're not where you want to be because God is trying to get your attention. Maybe you're in some tension because God is trying to get your attention. Not to take something away from you 
but to give you something so much better. Can I tell you the resistance of God, the no that you might get from God always leads to a better yes. When you feel that resistance from God, when you feel that check, you got to slow down. And you have to examine. You have to realize. Man, the first ten scriptures of that story, man, it felt like God was mad. (laughs) But you have to realize he's not mad at you. You're just not living where you need to live. He, he's with you. In fact, he said all of that to get your attention. He's with you. He's for you. But are you for him? He's on our side, but are we on his side? Yes, he's for you, but you cannot experience the blessing and the goodness of God until you realize that you are for him. I said this the other night in our young adult services. God answers our prayers, but he blesses our decisions. Let me me say that again. God, God answers our prayer, man, but he blesses our decisions. And here's what that looks like so many times in our lives. We'll pray for things that God cannot give us because our life is not ready and we're not ready. Man, but then there's moments of my life where he gives me things I didn't even pray for because I was making the right decisions. You will not experience the blessing and the goodness of God until you make the right decision. The last thing I close with this. In verse 12, they said, are you really listening? When they heard what God was saying, the Bible says that the children of Israel leaned in and they really, they really listened. And they realized that God did all of this, that he said all of this. I mean, for 11 scriptures, he beats them up (laughs) for one reason, not to say no, not to make them feel bad, not to make them feel bad about their sin or their mess. No, he did it for one reason, all to get to verse 13 and let them know, even in spite of all of that, I am with you. I wonder what the important message was in the airport that day. I couldn't help but think, man, if it's really urgent, it has to be bad news. Like, I I just can't imagine that they're calling this person and this is really urgent. You have won the lottery. I, I don't think that's what was happening. I just assumed. And in that moment, I just said a little prayer for him. And I, I hope that whatever it was, was Okay. So many times we do that when we feel like God has a sense of urgency with us. We feel like God's calling to us and we know our mess, we know our sin, we we know the areas where we fall short, we know our misplaced priorities, and we hear God calling to us and we do what I did in the airport, man. If it's urgent, it's got to be bad. Like if God's really trying to get a hold of me, he's only trying to tell me, you're going down the wrong path, you're going to lose your life, it's going to be awful. So many times we think that the message that God has for us is bad news. 
that God is standing over us saying we aren't enough. God is saying that we don't belong, that we've made mistakes. But tonight I want to tell you this is the one message that God has for you here tonight. God is calling after you not to say that I'm against you. He's reaching after you. He's urgent. He's crying out. He's desperate. He's trying to get your attention to tell you one message. And the message is this. I'm with you. In spite of the the obstacles, in spite of the tension, in spite of the mess. I've got a message for you tonight, and the message is this. I am with you. I'm coming to a close, and we can all stand. I'm going to read two portions of Scripture to you, and then we're going to be done. The Bible says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. God is with you. God is for you. But he's asking you to be with him. He's asking you to make his house a priority. He's asking you to to make the things of God a priority. And here's what happens when you do that. I've got good news for you. I know I beat you up like the first 10 minutes. I've got good news for you. Here's what Psalms chapter 27 says. When you you make the things of God a priority, when you make the house of God a priority, Psalms chapter 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me and and my enemies and my foes, here's what happens. They will stumble and they will fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident because one thing have I asked from the Lord and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that I make the house of the Lord a priority all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble... For in the day of tension, for in the day of mess, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. And in his house, at his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. So guess what, Lord, your face will I seek. Do not hide your face from me in my tension, in my mess. Do not turn your servant away in anger because you've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. 
Do not turn me over to the, fo- to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. <laughs> but I will remain confident. I will remain confident in this one thing, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Man, can I tell you tonight, I'm not confident in a lot of things. I'm not confident in doctors. I'm not confident in government. I'm not confident in the social situations around us. But I can be confident in this one thing, that in the middle of my tension and in the middle of my mess, I can walk into the house of God and I can remain confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Oh, come on all across this place if you're thankful that you can walk in and receive the goodness of God and live in his favor and walk in who he is can you just lift up a shout of praise all right I'm done I'll close with this you see this cup right here it's empty as long as it's this way as long as you're focused on the world around you No matter how much we pour into this cup, it remains empty because it keeps spilling out. And God's given you blessing, but your focus is on the world around you. Your your focus is on the problems around you. And you're right here and God's pouring into your life and pouring blessing. And it seems like you never get filled up. You're focused on the horizontal, but when you turn that cup and you say, God, fill me up, here's what happens. That cup fills up, and the relationships in your world, the things in your life, it's, it's a product of the overflow of the goodness of God. And no matter what happens in your life, you can stand on the goodness. You can stand on the goodness of who he is. And no matter what happens, you're full of the goodness and the grace of God. One more time, can we just put our hands together and say thank you, Jesus. Let me say a prayer for you real quick. Jesus, in your name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray right now for people that are in this room that as they walk out of this place, they might have been tired when they walk in, but as they walk out, they feel the grace of God. They feel the wind of heaven. They hear the message. They're really listening, and they realize that no matter what comes against them, they can know that God is with them and that he's for them. And God, if you are on their side, there is nothing. There is nothing. There is nothing. There is nothing that can stand against them. And we thank you that we can remain confident that when we walk in from the world, we walk in from our mess, we walk into the house of God and we say, God, we are making you a priority that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. One more time, can you just put your hands together and say, thank you, Jesus. Hey, have a great night. Go in Jesus' name. We'll see you for Dream Team Sunday. (laughs) 